0: All right, welcome to the next episode of Cyware's CyberCast, our Zoom and podcast series. Um, We are talking to Richard Steenan today, so we're totally psyched to have you as a guest, Richard. Um, For everybody's edification, Richard is the founder and principal with IT Harvest, a consulting and publishing company. He's also a former Gartner analyst and a noted thought leader within the cybersecurity industry. He advises a lot of firms on really cool strategic initiatives and, you know, just writes tons of great books. And, you know, welcome, Richard. Totally psyched to have you. Thank you for making the time for us today. Thanks, Tom. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, this is great. Finally, I stopped rescheduling on you. (laughs) We made it. We did it. We did it. We're here. So, God, there's so many questions to ask. Um, You know, I'll, I'll start with how are you doing? What are you up to? What what's what's your latest cool stuff that you've got going on and you know certainly what's been a really difficult and strange kind of world the past year.
1: Yeah, and you know I've been thinking back on it cuz everybody's kind of reminiscing about the last time they were at RSA in San Francisco which was last week, last year. And that was, you know, a huge year for me. I was launching a security yearbook and I signed 400 copies of the book and lined up all these speaking engagements around the world, Um, and then I get back to home base here in Michigan, and everything goes on lockdown. By March 6th, all of my speaking engagements were just canceled, right? And, you know, and if you've got contracts for things that your clients can't fulfill, you don't say, well, I'm going to hold you to it, right? you just, okay, I understand. Um, So I, you know, tried to figure out how am I going to change my business model, right, which is totally based on speaking engagements, you know, so you, you write a book, people hire you to speak at their events, and you sign the books, and, you know, everybody's happy with it, um, so I, I'm doing a lot of uh, webinars, um, doing some cool video demo stuff, and, but then I, I realized, wow, without the travel interrupting every single week, um, I could be super productive. So uh, I wrote a couple books. Um, and it, you know, I'm almost ready to say I like this better. Just sit in my little writing shed here and um, crank out books and it's just you know the words just flow. So it's been great.
0: That's awesome. I mean, and so I would say you know on the vendor side as well too, um, I've loved not traveling for on the one hand because I feel like I'm more productive and I also right. feel as if I, you know, I can, I get a little more time to kind of think critically about the initiatives that I'm putting together something like this, like the cybercast. It's, you know, not everybody likes to be on camera. I, you know, or on a microphone, not everybody's good at it, including me, but, you know, it's like, sometimes you think about taking, you know, taking that next step and kind of evolving yourself when you've got some time to kind of say, well, this is what I want to do. Um, These are some things that I aspire to do. And I don't have the rush of, you know the airport and the delays and the weather issues and you know coronavirus circulating within the airplane and you know yeah. it's sometimes it's actually it's a little bit of a blessing in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, I'm, I'm going to miss and I do miss the face to face at all the conferences. Um, so you don't get the backstories, right? Because if somebody's talking to you on Zoom, they never know when they're being recorded, so they're not going to tell you about so and so doing whatever, whatever underhanded thing. And as an analyst, I wanna know those backstories. Why did that person leave? Or you know, what was the real story behind that acquisition or that company that went under? And you get that at the bar in San Francisco, but you don't get it uh, over any sort of telecommunication at all.
0: Oh, you sure do. And it's funny too, because when you think about RSA and you think about Black Hat, you think about the the Gartner Conference, basically like every cybersecurity conference, it's fun to get with people right it's fun like yeah. you know you worked at enough places in cyber and you've been hanging around the you know the industry long enough and it's just nice to run into you know, like friendly faces sometimes it's nice to even run into some faces who weren't that friendly previously right it's
1: just kind of uh it's i've had that experience often <laughs> Yeah, especially <laughs> as an analyst right yeah oh steen and you ruined my early career that kind of thing <laughs> Yeah, perfect. We're all good. We're all good now. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, you know,
0: and I think too, it's like, I think people, the everybody used to say kind of going into the conferences, oh, you know, here we go with like RSA again, or here we go with Black Blackout again. It's like, I think everybody misses like that shared community within the cyber community because, yeah, you know, like with the exception of, you know, maybe like a fraction of a percent of the people, everybody's really cool in cybersecurity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, we're two white guys, so our experience is different than people, you know, especially women who just relate horrible stories from the community. True. But that's mostly the, you know, the, uh, maybe I shouldn't go this way, but, you know, there is a difference between RSA and DEFCON, right? Where DEFCON is is a real chest-thumping kind of match, who's got the coolest hack and stuff. Um, and it's kind of a different team than the people building products and marketing and selling products.
0: Right. No, that's that's true. I my first experience at DEF CON was probably about four to five years ago. Um, and you know, I walked in, I think the day before it started, I was coming over from Black Hat, and my goal was to spend a little bit of time at DEF CON before I, you know, came back to Massachusetts and Um, I went in and like the conference hadn't really started yet the presentations and the sessions um, but I but what they did have was you know they had like a couple mohawk stations where you can go and you know they had like some stylists doing mohawks and things like that and I you know it really truly gives you it gives you sort of like that underculture perspective of what the what the industry truly is all about um, and thinking about you know, thinking like an attacker to be able to defend, you know, an enterprise against what that what that thought process really is. Yeah.
1: And then the, the other community that sometimes you can get, you know, you just find yourself immersed in are the, uh, the public policy, uh, government agencies and all that, especially in Europe, you get those a lot it's a different language. You know, they start to use some of our words, cyber this and cyber that. I can sit in on one of those conferences in a different language and follow along because they just tell all the same stories I tell, you know, it's, you know, something in French or Greek or something, and then they'll say Titan rain, you know, and then you go, oh, I know what he's talking about. It's so true. It's so true. Well,
0: you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully we get back to it and you know, the next time that, the next time that we do see each other, hopefully it is in person over a beer or a coffee. And, you know, we can, we can recall how awesome the, the cyber cybercast was at that yeah. point. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, well, listen, I've got, I've got some questions and, you know, um, let me, let me start here for certainly for people who, you know, for maybe newbies in the industry who might not know who you are, um, you know, old guys like me definitely do, but, Take me through your, like your journey in cybersecurity and like to a, certain ex- to a certain extent, Richard, like this sort of like might even chart kind of what your latest work in the uh, security yearbook 2020 is too. Like you started as an analyst, um, you've charted a super cool course for yourself. You have even talked about how you pivoted your recent business model. Um, yeah. give, me, give me an idea of sort of like, you know, you, you started, you know, as a, you started in networking and then became an analyst. Give us the uh, yeah. give us that overview because
1: it's a super cool story. Yeah, and, it, and that's part of the cool thing about the security industry is everybody has a different story, right? Because there wasn't an industry when we got into security, and for me, it started in '95. I had I had been an automotive engineer, started an ISP because that was kind of the the Bitcoin of the day, right? Everybody had to start an ISP, um, and then I joined a ISP that was actually offering managed security services in Southfield, Michigan. Later, Netrex was later sold all the way through to IBM and they still have the same SOC in Southfield. Um, But I went on from there to PricewaterhouseCoopers. So I was basically a manager of technical risk services. And that was my first exposure really to doing business with large enterprise. So big banks, uh, railroads, um, oil and gas and I was basically auditing them, doing pen testing um, and was hired out of there from by Gartner. So you know, yeah, I had run a lab with a bunch of firewalls in it to test them and stuff for PWC. Um, but in 2000, you know that that was enough to become the second Gartner analyst to cover, the, the security network security space. Super cool. And so you were you were number two at Gartner in cyber. Yep. Yep. After uh, John Pescatori. Really and, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was quite cool that, you know, they just dumped like the firewall magic quadrant on me and the IDS magic quadrant uh, that worked on the MSSP magic quadrant. Um, and it was just a, you know, sink or swim experience. It was the, the, the very first week i was taking calls as a gartner analyst and just learning as i as i went i remember just how nerve-wracking it was to get on a call you know hey the cio of lockheed martin and his entire team wants to ask you a question about firewalls or or a government agency in canada wants to ask you about (laughs) encryption technology (laughs) (laughs) um it was yeah it was nerve-wracking and the funny thing is after doing that for four years right just taking like six to eight calls every single day with CIOs and eventually CISOs, um, I got a little bored, right? It's like, they're always asking the exact same questions. So I would stop looking at uh, what the question was before I got on the call, hoping that they would surprise me. So I'd have to actually think before I responded. And eventually, you know, jumped out to uh, WebRoot software. and that was really, uh, a, you know, an evangelist in government relations kind of position. It was a blast. Webroot, when it started, was a really, really fun company. Um, left Webroot to start IT Harvest, so my own firm. Um, I decided, and I should have stuck to it, but I decided that, you know, my I found my sweet spot. I like to talk to people, and I like to uh, I like public speaking, and I like writing, and that's an in industry analyst. So um, got sucked into a CMO role at Fortinet. Um, so I put IT Harvest aside, went back to it when I left Fortinet. Um, and then, you know, most recently, three years ago, I was chief strategy officer for a company out of the UK that does uh, data erasure. So, you know, you can see where I was going. I, I wanted to work in network security, endpoint security, web group, and uh, data security, which is Blanco. So the only thing I haven't done is work at a you know a um, identity and access management company. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting too old to get hired by anybody so I think I'll just <laughs> stick to <laughs> stick to what I'm doing. Um, and it was funny when I um, I had in 2019, I was signing a book on secure cloud transformation in a booth at RSA. And I was looking around going, this is fantastic. There's a line of people coming in just to meet me and get a signed book from me. So that's why I said, well, I've got to write a book about the entire industry, about you know for next year, what what is it going to be? Let's write what I know, which is our industry. And I was also meeting all these people that were new to the industry. They, they say, you know, I uh, uh, just got hired into the industry. I've, I've been in it for two weeks. And they sent me to RSA to learn about the industry. And I go, wow, you are not going to get a good impression of the industry, right? Because every year, if you walk the show floor at RSA, there's a different twist on it. You know, it melds into something different. Correct. If there were one last week, it would have been all about uh, zero trust, right? And it's gone through all these uh, different gyrations over the years. And I would meet startup founders that had this really cool idea that they're promulgating at, you know, in their booth that they probably put all their capital into. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, oh, like so-and-so and so-and-so. And and they go, who are those? They didn't even know about the other attempts at doing what they're doing. Right. What's the competitive landscape? Yeah. And what worked and what failed? You know, how how much did they get acquired for? Nothing. They knew nothing about it. So that led me to think, okay, I'm going to write the history of of the security industry in this book security your book and uh, hey look at that there you go and that also gave me an opportunity to finally publish the data i collect on the industry so i've you know i've done this for maybe yeah over 10 years i've been collecting a database of all the vendors in the space so i printed a directory in the back of the book and you know, I'm looking at it and I go, huh, this looks a lot like the yellow pages for the industry. So why not sell ads? So that's kind of the basis of the business model now is create this book every year, sell ads in the back, uh, give exposure to the vendors. But the editorial content is all mine and not influence. But it also gives me a chance to interview all the pioneers are in our industry, uh Gil Schwed from Checkpoint, I mm-hmm. um, Amit Your now at Tenable, but Back in the day, he was rip tech and MSSP, and so I'm slowly collecting all these great stories and kind of being a curator of our of our history. And those are so, super
0: cool too, Richard. Because like, with and and what I like about the book too, and it's why you know we're going to be doing some work with you also at Cyware. What I like about it is you're explaining cybersecurity not cybersecurity for dummies necessarily, but thinking about like the evolution of this industry, like when you came into it and you know, you're an important, you're an important figure within this, within this market. And I think what I like about it is you don't try to take a hundred pages to say two or three things. It's succinct. It's like, like you focus on brevity, which I really like as well too. It's something that I'm trying to work on as a you know, as as a professional, but as a human too, and sometimes I tend to talk too much, Um, at least my family tells me that. Um, But, you know, I think it's, I like the way that you portray the the different phases of cyber that have started to really shape this industry with those anecdotes.
1: Yeah, and I've taken an approach that, I leave out the history of cyber attacks, which are very important because they're the drivers for the entire industry. Mm -hmm. I've written two books on cyber warfare and nation state attacks, and they're fantastic books practically on every really cool worm or bug that's been out there. Um, And so this is the thing I can add to it. Yeah. And those are, and those are cool
0: too. My, so I'm out currently in my, in my office, which is separate from my house, but in my house where I have all my cool books, um, I keep all of like my marketing reference books out here. I, you can't see it, but they're over here because, you know, I, I'm just a dumb marketing guy at the end of the day, but I do need, I do need those reference books. But a couple of your books have helped me for a couple of my presentations that I've had to deliver, have given me a couple of ideas um, where I attribute those to Surviving Cyber War or um, a couple of the other books that you have. Um, secured, um, the the Secure Cloud Transformation book Um I need to buy a new copy of that because I can't find it. I might've left that. Um, Yes. Great. I love, I was looking forward to it. I might've given it to somebody, but um, which, (laughs) Hey, there's an ebook and there's a a audible book too. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm, I'm all over it. So uh, give me um, let's move into, okay. So what have you seen that has, think about back to you jumped into you jumped into Gartner as an analyst right without having experience as an analyst because it was kind of new for you know for for sci- the cyber market at that point what have you seen that that what have you seen that has shocked you the most from then until now and then what have you seen that you've kind of said hey this
1: this is where this is going so it doesn't shock me that's where we're at now yeah so the I used to get shocked when, um, you know, an attack against a particular uh, company in a sector would, you know, be in the news and I would blog about it and write about it and tell people what they had to do to avoid it. Um, And then two years later, the exact same methodology used against somebody else in the same industry. So in the retail is what I'm thinking about here because, um, we had uh, attacks on you know uh, you know a, a home um, home center kind of company that was actually executed by some people I know here in Michigan, and they had to, you know used a Pringles can in the parking lot to hack into the Wi-Fi access point, and then steal all the credit cards to sell to Russian carters here in Michigan. Uh, surprised me that we had you know Russian mafia in Michigan. I didn't know that. Um, wow! But then, you know, you know, I write it all up and then next thing we know, you know, uh, TJ Maxx was the next one. Suffered the exact same attack. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you read that story and then say, well, we better do something about our open Wi-Fi access ports. They don't. They figure, ah, oh, that was Michigan. It's not going to happen in, in Minnesota. You know, it's just over and over. So I, I've, I've gotten totally used to that now doesn't bother me anymore it's just the way it is um it means job security for me i can write the same damn article over and over and over again <laughs> just put it in a different uh, different actors um same with you know the the call for patching and i made a mistake my it was the first couple months at gartner and there was a new um uh, solaris vulnerability that would allow remote access and I basically issued a Gartner fast take telling all of the Gartner clients, patch your Solaris servers immediately. Man, I got calls from CIOs that said, you are such an idiot. We have 2000 servers. We have to schedule them for downtime on the weekend. They'll take two hours to patch and test before we put them back online. By the time we're done with that, there'll be a new critical vulnerability. So I, I learned not to say that, but then that's how I identify newbies In the area on Twitter, right? Patch immediately! Oh my gosh, there's a side channel attack in BM whatever, and you know it's like no, people aren't going to do that. You know you should do something. You know I'll say you should do something, but you're not going to patch everything. Which bring brings up the almost it wasn't a surprise as much as just completely blindsided by cloud infrastructure. Just you know who knew the impact that would have on IT infrastructure in general. right? And what I'm elated about is that it is ultimately much more securable than what we had before. And I'm seeing that now, and you know, all of the the uh, startup and cool companies you see, uh, taking advantage of it, either to deliver their service mm-hmm. um, or process data in the cloud or to protect your cloud infrastructure, um, they're, they're all just tying into things that are already there and just giving you a nice, you know, screenshot into it. So tons of, you know, as, as we progress and as people transition to the cloud, we are actually ultimately going to be much more secure than we ever were before. So, which is, which is crazy. Cause when you think about air gap networks
0: and you think about, you think about on-premise infrastructure, as soon as you, as soon as you switch a piece of on-premise infrastructure on, and you connect it to the internet somehow, or like, you know, the the clock starts ticking. I think in terms right. of right. your the, the the vulnerabilities that will be exposed, the the third-party risk that starts to creep in, um, you know, and every other software component. You know, was it, Put what was this piece of software procured and secured, right? Like it just, there's so many different things to think about that it's, it's mind boggling. And it's interesting yeah. that you say now, ultimately long-term, we will be more secure with an internet enabled technology, the cloud. It's yeah. kind of, yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's an interesting take.
1: Yeah you know ultimately you're gonna all your email security in theory can be taken care of by office 365 uh microsoft's got huge team watching everything all the time um your hosting environments you know amazon gives you a nice clean image when you spin it up um you can instrument it immediately and see what's going on on it you can uh um you know, configure it so access controls are in place. Uh, now, mind you, you can screw up every step of the way too. You know, some misconfigurations <laughs> are still an That's issue. Right. Um, but it's, you know, the, the big thing the cloud brings us is standardization. You know, no, there's no IT person that says, huh, should we get a 1U or a 2U to, you know, rack-mounted server to handle right. this? And what operating system should it run? And how many cores should it have? And how much memory should we add to it? And how do we connect it to the network network attached storage system and all that stuff? Not an issue. You know, you got three or four choices, and you click, 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 and you're up and running. Yeah, so it's interesting. Let's let's
0: let's move from the cloud to kind of what we're starting what we're starting to see as in in terms of output from. Not just the cyber industry, but I think like business as a whole. Um, when you think about all the data and all of the analytics-driven componentry that is starting to, it's starting to become more pervasive in the cybersecurity industry. Um, what what is your perspective on? how the industry has evolved into more of a data and an analytical, um, you know, just all about just like really high fidelity analytics to what, what we're trying to do is, is speed up the time to be able to detect, prevent and counter attacks that come in and potential threats that could turn into attacks.
1: Yeah, this thought process has led me to a new lens to look at the entire industry. Um, not quite there yet, but I can almost put each vendor solution into one of two buckets. One is the um, you know proactive things that stop bad stuff from happening, right? So firewall is that, right? right. Um, it's not perfect, obviously. Um, or a two-factor authentication, right? That's proactive, it just does its job. You don't have to monitor it, right? It just does its job. Uh, the other bucket is those that are completely data-driven. And and as, you know, especially if you leverage cloud computing, the goal is to have as much data as possible. So collect all the data all the time, and then we'll figure out some way to, to get good information out of all that data. And the other thing is that I've been fighting the... The idea that alerts are a good thing for 20 years now, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, when I, when I looked at IDS back in the day, which was um, you know just basically collect thousands of signatures and then compare them to network traffic and send an alert when it saw something that matched, and it just created millions and millions of alerts. I remember um, Bruce Schneider used to brief me, you know, every quarter and the number of alerts that counterpaying his his startup MSSP saw. And and then he'd show a funnel, right? That we captured 2 billion alerts last month. We funneled them down to now to only 2 million alerts and then push them out to our customers. You can't handle 2 million alerts, right? It's <laughs> uh, a SOC person, you know, could handle, I don't know, 20 alerts if 19 of them could just say nope not a problem right and check them off. right Um, but one alert of yes somebody really is you know knocking on the door of your active directory server that's one that could absorb everybody for a month just trying to figure out what was going on right so that led me to say you know stop spending money on ids it's totally pointless you'll be happier if you don't do it and i was backed up by i met the Um, somebody was introduced to me at Cisco as the manager of the IDS team. So I said, wow, how many people on your team? You know, this was at the time a 20 billion a year revenue company. And he said, well, we've got five people. And I said, well, gee, you know, it takes seven people just to have one seat around the clock, right? (laughs) Including weekends and holidays. What do you do on the weekends or after five? And he goes, we just go home. As if like, It's no problem. We just stop looking at alerts until our shift starts again. Easy. Obviously, alerts are worthless, but it's been a driver of that whole half of the industry. And I credit that flood of alerts with the creation of um, two separate complete industry segments. One is MSSPs. You would outsource, ignoring the alerts to a service provider. Mm-hmm. So they'd collect them all and ignore them as well. And SIMS, <laughs> which is collect all the alerts and put them in one place. So what the, when the auditor comes in and says, hey, ISO 27001 says you yep. got to manage all these logs. Yep, I got and all the logs are. right here. That's right, here they are. Um, but still, they did nothing for you. And they, you know I would hear the stories from the ARC sites of the world that would say, oh, but we've got correlation rules. If somebody logs in remotely, but they're in the building, that's an alert you should pay attention to. That was, that's like their favorite use case, um, but and it rarely happens. Um, but now we're entering a new phase, right? So we know there's lots of data and we know that we can apply, you know, for lack of a better word, let's call it machine learning to it. Um, most is probably maybe uh, link analysis and uh, anomaly detection, right? What's what's really different this time or right. is this is, does this look like the same process and procedure of another type of attack? So we're finally getting to where we can actually do something with all that data. Um, I, I used to put uh, SIMs into uh, governance, risk, and compliance because that's the only value I saw them providing. But I'm starting to move them into security analytics because every SIM provider is adding... The, some sort of analytics to the top of it, uh, and new ones, you know, are coming in. New security analytics companies are coming in, got the ability to look through all this stuff uh, and do something effective with it, and reduce the load on the SOC people. Um, introduce automation, you know, if it's sore uh, like SIEMware is. Sure. Um, and and those companies, you know, say, well, you know what? We're not going to do the logging. Just point us. At your logging system, you've already invested in, you know, because it's a lot harder to sell unless you're Splunk to tell somebody to rip out ArcSight. Um, Somehow Splunk managed to do that. Sure. But the great thing is now it's okay, rip out Splunk. And a lot (laughs) of people go, huh, that would save a lot of money. Uh, So that's a possibility now. And just use this, you know, data pool in our cloud. We'll just put it there and, you know, it'll be secure, of course. and it'll cost you per line, like Splunk does. It'll cost you some other model that we can use.
0: Right? Yeah. It's uh the the evolution's fascinating when you think about it in terms of, you know, in it and and what I what I've kind of seen also in the cybersecurity market, which I think kind of mirrors where some of the some of the legacy that you've sort of entered into the conversation, today, Richard, is, which is innovation is very. Almost very quickly replaced in cybersecurity in a way where there's there almost seems to be but maybe about a ten to I don't know like a ten to twelve year maybe I'm maybe I'm off by a few years but it's a it's a cycle of stickiness with specific technologies that are widely adopted have critical mass in terms of customer um, really hard to rip out because. Teams get so reliant on what those technologies deliver to them uh, in terms of value and preserving their jobs, preserving you know the 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 secure posture of the business, et cetera. Um, it's really interesting to see, and particularly now that you know I'm with I'm with Cyware, which is when you think about you've mentioned Splunk and when you think about where some of the innovation is starting to come from, it's always from the the smaller upstart players who have figured out a way to do something that's easier, maybe faster, probably better. Um, But we're starting to see the questions come in from teams around automation and automation of something as important as threat response is I think it's such a critical conversation and it's such a critical piece of how a security team would function and really do their job more effectively. Where are you seeing, where are you seeing some of those, some of those technologies and some of those trends start to percolate? Are they, you know, at the highest levels and some of the guys that you talk to and the highest levels of government and big enterprise and large banks? Where What are those discussions looking like amongst the, you know, around the CISO tables?
1: Yeah, there's been a definite change in mentality because back in the day, we had solutions that would, um, you know, if they saw something, they'd go to the firewall and put a new rule in. Right. And, but, and that was like, no way, nobody's touching my firewall. It's too dangerous. (laughs) Right. Because not because you're going to cause a security problem, it's because you're going to break something that was working um so but we've gotten to the point now where the the threats are so drastic that it's okay to shut off somebody's access to the internet if they're acting weird right or access to your applications if they're acting weird because then you can you know i'd much rather be uh doing the research to figure out what that person did wrong or was trying to do um than deal with a successful attack. So we've finally gotten so we're on the other side of that that chasm that we crossed. Um, the I think we're at a and we're at a moment where everybody recognizes okay, we've got costs in triaging attacks that we that our you know alerts tell us about. Um, it, automation would reduce those costs. So we've got an immediate ability to justify investment in automation. So that that's good um what worries me and we haven't really seen yet is that the attackers are going to start having automated attacks so we have to invest and get really good at stopping attacks automatically because in the future the, the attacks are going to be automatic and they will take instead of the wow. you know six month dwell time that you know whoever uh, was behind solar winds needed to execute their attack uh, it'll be six minutes and and everybody will be a sitting duck unless they can immediately do something and hopefully triage it you know if you use too much artificial intelligence sometimes there's a problem with that because you can't actually look inside the thought process of an ai right don't actually know how it came up with that it's pattern matching essentially which is which is interesting because when you so
0: already as, as we sit here today already so many so many attacks happen when teams don't see it coming right if you're slipping in and if you're slipping in under under the covers and you're already inside an organization system in some way shape or form and nobody knows and you're doing the recon that you need to while you're in there as an attacker i mean that's how they pull off that's how they pull off big breaches that's how they pull off you know getting the data that they want getting paid by whichever you know state actors paying them and then you know and then they're off then they're off and, uh, off to the next job. Yep. Yeah. If they start automating that, and they start putting together automating tools and point those at enterprises, oh my God, it's a game. It's a game changer for them. But it's also a you know it's a warning shot. Certainly, I think that's like you're you're giving the audience here. This is this is where it's going. So that yeah. that that actually was going to be, I think, my my final question before we get into our lightning round, um, <laughs> which is. Boy, like what does the future hold for cybersecurity at this point in your eyes?
1: Yeah, it's uh, gonna continue to grow at, you know, the industry will grow at 34% um, because all these solutions deliver on what they promise, right? Um, And there are 2,935 vendors with multiple products each. Um, So the, the industry will evolve on the sophisticated side. And, you know, we're actually getting to the phase where products will be delivered that are configured a little bit more securely. So we'll have fewer issues or the, the company that delivers it will respond quicker. And, and Zoom is a perfect example, right? They went public and became popular right at the beginning of uh, COVID. And then everybody pointed out all the vulnerabilities just in their process, right? Of course. And Zoom just fixed them, you know, just, roll out the fixes and that's what you know SaaS kind of platforms can do for you right you just fix them you don't if you discover it yourself you don't have to tell anybody that you had a zero day right mm-hmm. you just fix it move right. on interesting yeah so think when you think
0: about what's you think about where we are think about the state right now there doesn't seem to be any end state in in the near future for for this industry there are yeah, there, there is too there is too much to do. I think in the cybersecurity industry today, there are tons of jobs. Um, this security, this the the cybersecurity industry really is bucked the the recession trend globally because mm-hmm. because it's so critical to maintaining business continuity. Um, is there ever going to be some type of like nirvana with, within this industry or?
1: do you see an end, like some type of like end state somewhere? Nope, nope, I don't. Um, I do, you know, I'll, I'll come across technologies that I can go, wow, if everybody used this, the problem would go away, right? And that's, and, and there are, you know, geopolitical solutions, right? So you notice that there aren't a lot of cyber criminals in the UK uh, executing ransomware attacks against US citizens, right? that's because we have a mature relationship with the UK and our law enforcement people talk to each other and if you did that you would go to jail sure uh, but we do have countries where there is no penetration of you know kind of a global norm for uh, for cyber attacks um, so you got Russia Brazil to a lesser extent certainly North Korea and China um, just doing whatever they want because there's no repercussion and it's not you know, from their perspective, but you know, a Russian citizen doesn't really think there's any moral problem with stealing right. money from the rich West, right? So, as long as that is in place, which is going to be a long time, it looks like, then we'll continue to have you know multiple levels of severe attacks always.
0: Yeah, really. I mean, really cool perspective. Um, certainly, again. I think a warning shot of, of sorts too. It's, you know, when you when you look and and what's kind of like sticking with me is attackers automating what they need to do in order to break into your system. It just is, yep. uh, it's 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 mind boggling. It's mind boggling yeah. when you think about it. And, so.
1: we, and every time there's a new um, ratcheting up of attack methodologies, they're usually, at, you know within six months, I'll hear from startups that have a solution against that, right? it takes them five to 10 years after that in order to to be successful. But um, I don't know of a single startup that says that they can check software updates coming from a trusted provider and tell you if it's got a backdoor in it, right? Because the the update's a binary. You'd have to reverse engineer it on the fly and look for strange things in it. And I haven't talked to a single vendor that says I can do that. I'm sure I will hear from them in the next six months. Uh, But that's, you know, that's almost an intractable problem when you think about it. Right.
0: It's that's that's interesting. I'm sure that so well, you just you just gave somebody something to go research and uh, build some type of a prototype on.
1: Yeah, what time in Israel will the show, will the air show? Right, <laughs> that's that, <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's where they go, Hey, I can do that, and boom, yep. they've got funding and a company.
0: We could do it very quickly, let's go! Yeah, they're yep. Israel, Israel's, Israel's set up well. I mean, the, the level of innovation coming out of that country is you know yep. phenomenal. Um,
1: yeah, they yeah. uh, in the you know, so Silicon Valley is you know where all the um, uh, most high tech companies are born, right? Before they're invest before they get their first investment, they have to demonstrate there's a problem for them to solve. And they do that by talking to CISOs and analysts and all the rest and validating the problem before they get their first million to create a a solution. In Israel, they create a company when there's only the possibility of a problem. So if there's, you know, if, oh my gosh, people could hack power grids, they, you know, they would start a company in order to stop that. And they did dozens of them. So it's kind of cool to see how fast they they respond and they're usually in a good position right away. Yeah. Really, really cool
0: stuff. Um, all right. So it is time for us before we wrap up to go into our rapid fire round. And I've got a series of questions. I'll pull my, my, my David Letterman lever here and, you know, get my, He usually has a a pencil, right? Where he's That's right. Yep. So we're gonna go, we're gonna go. We're just gonna get right into it. All All right. right. Question number one: Mac or Windows? Mac. Mac. iPhone or Android? Android. Aha. I iPhone for me. All right. Gmail or Outlook? Gmail. Gmail. All right. Slack or Teams? Slack. Slack. We'll have to that's that's another whole phenomenon that we'll have to we'll have to talk about at some point. All right. O365 or Google Docs? Google Docs. Google Docs, all right. RSA or Black Hat? RSA. I'm undecided. There's things I like about both of them but i think i like going to san francisco better when events are actually a real you know a real thing um, plus it's august you know the desert it's it's pretty hot during black hat yep.
1: and you have to walk
0: so far inside the same building that's true that's true yeah. and the you know it just always it always amazes me in vegas the the amount of cigarette smoke that you're not supposed to smell but you but it's still there just yep. it's just gross all right we'll keep going Book or ebook? Book. Book. Uh, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Okay. Cobra Kai or Tiger King.
1: Pass, I barely know what you're talking about.
0: All right. Well, let me, I'll give you the I'll give you the, the two-second overview, which is Cobra Kai. If you remember in the original Karate Kid, Cobra Kai is a new Google produced series that takes Ralph Macchio um, as, uh, as Daniel, and I forget the actor's name who plays Johnny because it's actually a little bit more about him, present day, and they sort of, you know, kind of relive some of their rivalry in some really strange scenarios. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's pretty good being a martial artist. It's pretty fun to see that, that there's something that's kind of supporting a martial art in a way but it's pretty wacky it's definitely and it's really funny you should watch it in tiger king I, I i i hated it but it was at the beginning of the pandemic it was super uh it was one of the more popular trending you know shows on uh on netflix about a guy who you know tame tigers and all kinds of other stuff happened so my my recommendation now, is more so on the cobra kai side
1: um if you would asked me the you know between queen's gambit and the expanse that would've i would be all over it I'm all right not sure which i'd say though because they're both fantastic all right okay i've
0: seen a, i've seen queen's gambit so um, the expanse i have not seen so again we'll have to we'll have to compare some notes on those um okay we the year's been crazy so um you know if you you know if you had to take your pick a fire or an ice storm ice storm ice storm i'll take yep. that too
1: Yeah. finally Air travel or RV? I think I would like to do an RV, but I never have, and I love air travel, so there's that. Okay, yeah i I've not
0: gotten on a plane since uh, since early March last year, and I'm gonna keep it that way until until the vaccinations are more widespread. So, you know, if I had an RV, I would take a road trip. And as as it is right now, actually, this week is Massachusetts school vacation, so my kids are so mad at me that we didn't go anywhere this year and we couldn't go anywhere anyway because i tore my acl and i i can't oh, usually go skiing so i can't do anything yeah,
1: can't do that so and we we even thought of an rv just to park it in the driveway so we'd have a backup plan if one of us got sick and the other didn't uh-huh. so you'd separate you know and somehow still not spread it
0: all right now it, it seems like you've got your it looks like you're kind of in uh and you made an illusion uh, you made a reference earlier to the fact that Is that a, are you in a separate building from from where you live right now?
1: Yeah, I I needed the separation to, you know, just focus and write for eight hours a day. And I used to rent a motel room on Lake Huron to do that. Um, So I had this dream of a cabin in the, you know on one of the great lakes and that wasn't in the cards anytime soon. Um, So I said, okay, I'll just build a cabin in the backyard. And, but I couldn't because the city You know requirements say i've already used up all the all the footprint i can so i just built it in my garage okay and just took a corner of the garage and modeled the cabin off of uh, it's a combination of thoreau's cabin and dylan thomas's writing shed in wales and i just modeled it off of that and i'm perfectly happy here so So cool got my my own internet connection because the telephone poles right outside so Mm -hmm. no worries about bandwidth
0: that's great. Well that's awesome. Well again, for, for everybody, definitely uh, pick up a copy of the security yearbook see if you can see it there. Um, what a great read. Um, great conversation. Totally enjoyed having you on the on the show today. So good to, to catch up with you. It's been a while. I think we're on a, we're on at least one advisory board together so we haven't even we haven't caught up in a while so no oh, yeah um, I really enjoyed it. so thank you for taking the time today, Richard. It was fun
1: thanks Tom. All right, man. Thanks.